0: As I said, uh, Marion Finucane will be interviewing Father Mark Hederman and his book, Living the Mystery. My next guest this morning has spent over 50 years as a Benedictine monk in Glenstall Abbey. His latest book, Living the Mystery, is about finding a new way of bringing religion or a sense of the sacred into people's lives. Mark Patrick Hederman, good morning. morning, As always, you are extremely uh, welcome. Thank you, Mary. You accept and fully understand, which I know drives some Catholics mad, the whole concept of a la carte.
1: Yes. Yes. Explain your reasoning on that. Well, nobody can take the whole menu if they're going into... There's actually a comedy by, uh, you know, the famous um, comedian that you go to the restaurant and the... Waiter comes up and says, There's the menu. And you say, I'm having the lot, the whole works. (laughs) And then they bring in everything, and he has an enormous stomach. And and then, you know, that uh, it's uh, famous. But anyway, nobody can take the whole menu of anything. And everybody has to choose at some point. And the great. catch cry is, I toast the Pope, but I toast my conscience first, which Cardinal Newman said. Now, that's used to sound mm. Protestant. Well, it is. Uh, he was Protestant. And that is what the group, uh, Protestant Reformation, mm. really, because before that, we were all uh, part of a group. Nobody believed in individuality of any kind. And the medieval system was such that you just were always part of a group and to be ostracised or thrown out of the group was as death. Mm. So, I mean, we've all learned. I mean, you take the example of contraception in Ireland, for instance, you know, um, that when it was announced that the Catholic Church said that nobody was ever going to use contraception if they were Catholic, somehow or other, I mean, I don't know how it happened, but... Statistics show that families began to decrease. Now, we're not sure exactly how this happened, but as they said in the nursery rhyme, which is always a good indication, there was an old woman. She lived in a shoe. She didn't have any children. She knew what to do. So everybody finds a level at which they say, this is what I believe and I'm going to actually follow that. So I think everybody has to sometime get into the driving seat of their own car and not allow somebody else to be doing the driving.
0: And, and I will come back to that. However, there is also the fact that you you do need rules. You have to say you can't kill, you can't steal, you can't do those basic things that society needs. in a a, a way, like you have to have some order.
1: Everybody agrees with that. Mm. I mean, there can't be chaos. Mm. But at the same time, there are private areas. You know, those regulations concern everybody in general. But you find that out when you go into divorce courts, for instance, that the law is not capable of dealing with certain situations and that the very, very general rules which apply when you actually are dealing with very private and very, very difficult situations, then it's too blunt an instrument. So, of course, everybody agrees we have to have laws, but They can go too far and they can start to regulate where they shouldn't be allowed any entrance or access.
0: You talk about the mysterious and that there is the pursuit of the mysterious consciously or unconsciously among all. And you talk about 95% of the people on, on, on Earth who believe in another And you think that's within all of us?
1: Oh, I think, I mean, the great example, I think, as a story, is the person who is a little drunk and coming back and finding their car and then they can't find the keys of the car and they're crawling around under a lamppost looking for the keys of the car and another person comes and says, what are you doing? I'm looking for the key. Oh, I'll help you. So they crawl around again. Uh, looking for the keys, and then the other person says, "Well, did you lose them here?" "Oh no," he said, "Did I, I lose them?" But there's no light down there. See, so what we are living in is a tiny circle of light, which we call consciousness, where we have absolute certainty, or we think we have absolute. But outside that is a massive dark place where we have absolutely no idea what's going on and most of our lives we try to avoid that place but when an accident happens when illness happens when death happens you know suddenly we're into that area of the mysterious so we have to get in touch with that we have to find out what is that and how do you well you see there are so many methods now and as you know psychoanalysis is one of the things when I was young nobody would ever admit that they were going to a psychologist for us you know it never happened in our family and you know, right, so yeah. it was regarded as being but now it's like mental health and especially if you're in America you see I was talking to my uh, Uh, psychiatrist or my psychoanalyst, whatever. You know, it's normal for people. So that's one way of and actually what they would say is that if the churches had been doing their job properly there would have been no need for psychiatry. (laughs) but that's uh, an open discussion. Right. Because some of the people would say, well, they were the ones who drove us all into the psychiatrist's chair. But that's one. Secondly, your dreams, you know, your dreams are very important because most of our lives are, we're asleep. And so the unconscious, which is that vast area like a big iceberg, um, that really uh, tells you, what you 're refusing to tell yourself during your conscious life, and it gives you hints and gives you and dreams are very, very important as indicators of what you 're leaving out or what you 're not uh, paying attention to, and they have to be very carefully um, decoded because there are all sorts of books that will tell you, well, if you see an airplane or if you see a boat or that this is equal to that that 's so uh, wrong because everybody has their own different secret code and so you have to try and work it out and usually the dreams don't give an indication or a meaning with one alone they come in a series and you see different aspects art is another great way and then I
0: because of the imaginative
1: because of the imagination because all great art comes from the unconscious and people will always say that I didn't do this it came from and they have all sorts of names for that I call it the Holy Spirit but that's because I was brought up as a Catholic other people call it uh, so many different names but they will say I was inspired they won't say I did it myself. It came from somewhere else. So all that area of the unconscious. And the first book I ever wrote was called Kissing the Dark, which was trying to get people to actually fall somehow or other get into contact with darkness which we try to avoid we say oh no no we want light all the time and we live in a civilization where everything daylight I mean you can have tennis matches now that are going on at midnight but whereas before uh, darkness was a reality so, but people read read my book because they thought it was called Kissing in the Dark and <laughs> they got another um, version of something. So it is really important for us in the 21st century to get in touch with our unconscious. Before people didn't have to do that. They didn't want to do that. And it took 20 centuries to actually recognize that it was essential because the 20th century produced so many people who weren't in touch with that and they caused such havoc not I mean we talk about hitler and stalin these because they're the kind of poster boys yeah. of what happens when you don't get in touch but everybody who was in charge of a school or any institution become uh, out of control if they're not in touch with their unconscious and we all have this uh, now um, definite need and mandate to come and get in touch with that side of ourselves the mystery really Yeah. yeah. But, and, and you also talk about nature um,
0: nearly like pantheism but can I just bring you back to the 20th century and, and indeed the 21st century and say beauty, and you talk about somebody, a kid's been at a Rembrandt exhibition or adults going out for a walk and that there is an engagement. Now, I know this is superficial in this, in one way, but it seems terribly prevalent and important in another way, that actually experiencing something is no longer the point. I was at a, a ballet recently overseas And there was a bunch of, I think they were Koreans, I'm not quite sure. And they saw the whole thing through a camera phone. Uh, And people are on messages and Facebook and Mm -hmm. it's kind of all consuming and there's no space, as it were, for serenity.
1: Yes, or for even looking around you and seeing what is happening actually outside my particular radar screen, because we screen off everything that we don't want to see, and we're able to do that, you can turn it off, whereas the world is happening outside the mystery, and uh, it's very important to be listening in and getting the messages from that, that be, you know, we may not be able to interpret immediately, but they're telling us something about what's happening outside our little ego sphere. Yeah. Mm.
0: Uh, you Also, in talking about Buddhism, sorry I'm leaping around here because um, of time, but you, you say that Buddhism teaches a method
1: yeah. rather than a dogma. Well, I'm not even saying rather than, I'm saying they're the only ones who really do teach people how to meditate or how to be tranquil or how to be calm. And it's really very, very well done. But for them, it's a kind of mental hygiene. You know, everybody needs to know how to control their mind. Everybody needs to know how to get to the point in themselves where there's stillness. And they know how to teach that and very effectively. Whereas other religions, especially Christian religions, didn't have that methodology but uh, they do have it, but it's not really brought to the fore sufficiently. But don't, don't you have it in the monastery? Well, I see, the real point is that nobody has it, really. There is nobody can tell you how to meditate. There are supposedly 7 billion people in the world today, and that means there are 7 billion ways of getting in touch with the divine or whatever we want to call God. And you have to find your way. And when When you do find it, that is the most important discovery of your life because it gives you access to the most exciting and most satisfying relationship that's possible on this planet. But people who tell you, oh, I have the method, or you read it in a book, and you can be doing St. Teresa of Avila was on the wrong course, which was told to her by somebody else for 40 years until she met somebody who said, no, no, your own natural way of relating is the one you should use when you're relating to God also and then from then on she became the greatest contemplative of her time and probably of any time so finding that Connection is the really important thing, but nobody has the monopoly and nobody can actually say to you, well, I know how to do it. And Benedictine, where I am, yes, they never pretended to have a method. They, uh, you, you, you find your own way in a natural framework, but they provide a liturgy, a space of worship, which is very beautiful and very open,
0: and that you consider that well i was thinking of the chanting and and the wonderful music and and all of that
1: that must contribute in in some small way. Oh, in a very big way. I mean, chanting is very, very important. And in fact, the chant goes back to the Middle Ages. And I remember when I was um, uh, landing in an airport in New York and the taxi driver bringing me in, and I saw on his uh, CD player that he had Gregorian chant. I said, oh, I said, gosh, that's Gregorian. Oh, he said, yes, that's what my psych recommended for road rage. So... (laughs) There is something in the chant which everybody has recognized that is calming because it's centuries of distilling of ways of connecting, and music and chant are. Most important. Right, OK. And you would also say poetry. Uh, I know. You, uh, can
0: I go back to the very beginning? Because you say in a way that will outrage an awful lot of Catholics that you're delighted with the state of Catholic Church here in Ireland today and that people aren't being pushed about anymore with rules and regulations. Are you looking t-
1: to make some people very, very Angry? Well, I don't think people can be made more angry than they already are because everybody seems to be very angry with... I mean, I couldn't agree with them more with what they see in the papers all over. But what I'm saying is that there is a church... And it is a very important organization. It's the biggest uh, NGO in the world. There's over a billion people in it. It's done very, very good work. And it will be there in a 100 years' time. I am absolutely certain that whatever form or shape it takes. Now, the one I was born into, because I happened to have an American mother, and I could have been born elsewhere, but she landed on a farm in Ireland. And that's where I was born. So I was born right at the time when Ireland was the poster Catholic church uh, state in the world. We were number one. And for many people, that was a great privilege. I saw it as an oppressive situation. And I think the actual church that Jesus Christ founded is three carriages away from where we are, the engine of it. And our Irish Roman Catholic Church, the two carriages, Irish and Roman, should be uncoupled. Now the present Pope is not Steve McQueen, because if you remember the great train robbery, all he had to do was release one of the carriages and it went backwards kind yes. of thing. That he's trying to do that because the Irish part of it has disappeared. I mean, it's gone and what I knew in and 60s no longer exists in that way where everything was regulated from there, every uh, way people behaved, etc., etc. Now, the Roman part of it, which is only 100 years old, I mean, it was Mussolini and the Pope at the time that organized the Vatican State a 100 years ago, that could also be uncoupled. And then we could get to a church which was not hierarchical, which was the people, it's actually the people the church is not an organisation it's an organism and it means that wherever two or three people are gathered together that is the church and we own it and we should take it back and so I'm saying that I'm very happy that all these things that have accrued are disappearing and if we got back to the original we'd all be very happy. Right. Just a couple of comments before you go Uh, an carte
0: Catholic is a conscientious Catholic. Following orders is no excuse for not doing the right thing. Um, Another one says, this man is saying you can have your cake and eat it. I accept the bits of my religion that says carry on the way you are, but reject the parts that say I'm doing something wrong. I don't really get the impression from listening. Oh, no, that was from from Maria Walsh. Uh, I know, as always, when you come on, people are absolutely fascinated uh, by these ideas. What an inspiration. What a lovely man that is. He gives me hope in this dark time. Thank you very much.
1: I'm sure you're only reading one out of a hundred who are (laughs) saying the opposite. (laughs) No, not true. Listen,
0: uh, as always, thank you very much. That was uh, Mark Patrick Hederman. The book is called Living the Mystery. What lies between science and religion? And uh, uh, it is seriously thought provoking uh, and I would recommend it. So thank you very, very much indeed for coming in.
2: Everything passes, but God will never change, patient endurance will obtain everything. Will never change patient endurance, will obtain everything who has gone once for nothing.